we started this, uh, this series with this thought, it's hard to solve a problem when we don't really know what's wrong. It's hard to solve a problem when we don't really know what's wrong. And the problem is, is we don't know what the problem is. I mean, we know the behaviors that we keep repeating that we don't want to keep repeating, but we find ourselves repeating, and we're trying to figure it out, and we're trying to, and it's just not working. And so last week we looked at Romans 7 and let Paul really speak to us about um, how he saw, and Paul, if you remember we've talked about this, he uh, would have been hanging around guys like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and his words have really kind of helped us identify a lot about ourselves and a lot more about what it means to live as Christ. And so we're going to let him speak to us again as we keep searching out this idea of, of knowing our why. So Romans chapter 7 is where we'll begin this morning, and we'll, uh, we'll start in verse 15. It says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And that's, as we said last week, a lot of do, which leads to a lot of do-do. And all that do keeps wrecking us because the the doing we want to do isn't what we do. The doing we don't want to do, that's what we end up doing. And it just kind of keeps a mess going within us. And Paul says, listen, it, it, it's, it's not that we don't want to do it, but we just can't carry it out. It, uh, in other words, our, our, our flesh, our sinful nature uh, can't, can't get it going. Verse 19, he says this, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a believer, if you're an unbeliever. It doesn't matter if you've been in church all your life or if you've never been in a church the one thing that we can say we have in common is the truth of all this is that we all find ourselves doing things that we really don't want to do. There's not a person alive that hasn't looked at themselves and go, God, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep finding myself in the same place? Why do I keep struggling with this? Why do I keep giving into this? Why do I keep letting this wreck my life? And in verse 20, he says this, Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. We've all looked in the mirror and thought or said out loud, what's wrong with me? Why do I keep on doing that? Why do we have such a hard time training ourselves to move beyond certain behaviors and live differently? I mean, here's the reality. This is kind of a scary thing, is that we are better at training our animals than we are ourselves. There are some of us, and not me, because my dog has like got mental illness. But some of you have animals that will like sit and not do anything. They go to the bathroom where they're supposed to go to the bathroom. They don't eat things and tear things up. You just feed them and pet them, and and they're all. I mean, they're like, you're like, God, that, that that animal doesn't struggle with anything. It's got like got life licked, and it's just like perfect. And you would probably trade some of your kids in for another one of those animals, because you've got it trained. And yet we can't do that with ourselves. We can't get that, why do I do that, out of ourselves, but yet we can kind of get it with our animals. 
which is kind of crazy. So we've got this idea that we talked about last week. We introduced it. We said we're going to take this one bite at a time. So last week we talked about how Adam, as first man, believes God is holding out on him, that there's something better, that there's something that if he could just get a hold of, it's going to make everything right. It's going to bring everything he's ever wanted. And he chooses to walk away from what God has promised, what God has said, and sin enters the world, sin as a noun, sin as a noun, as opposed to the little verbs that keep expressing the sin that we find ourselves in. And so sin enters the world through Adam. Because we are human, as Adam is human, we were in Adam. We're in the line of Adam. So when Adam sinned, it's as if we were there and we sinned too, even though we weren't there. When we were born, sin was in our line, in our lineage, and became at some point our master. And so we have been born into this idea that we're going to blow it, that we are going to mess up, that we're going to give ourselves to sin. Now, Paul is going to close this thought that he's been working on in Romans 7 with these words, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what I don't want to do. I hate what I'm doing, but I keep doing it. And then he, he just kind of just blurts out this, this idea, you know, I mean, Paul is probably dictating what is written in Romans 7. And so he just blurts out, what a wretched man I am. And I think that that is a kind of a, a cue and a clue that this isn't like he's got his camel going three miles over the speed limit. I mean, this is like something that is wrecking him, something that he can't get a control of, something that keeps leading him down this dark path, something that keeps him wound up and He's struggling with it, and whatever it was, because he doesn't say it was more than a little thing. But you know what? We've all felt that at some point in our lives. What wretched husband I am. What a wretched wife I am. What a wretched daughter. What a wretched spouse. What a wretched, what a wretched, what a wretched. And we just kind of get down on ourselves because we find ourselves in the same place over and over and over again. Now, in the very next verse, Paul is going to ask a question. Now, we have altered the question, and ultimately, we really only change one word to the question, but it's a question that Paul asks himself that I think we've asked ourselves, and I think we've changed it because that's just kind of what we do. So he said this in verse 25, Who, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, what we've done is we've turned it into what? What will rescue me? What can I do? What can I learn? What can I rethink? What can I alter? What can I? What can I? What can I? Because we are more comfortable with what than who. Because we are people that like to fix things ourselves. We like to do it on our own. We like to overcome. We want to be able to say, I did this. I added something. I achieved something. I, I, I. And Paul doesn't ask what's going to save us. He says who. And ultimately, I believe deep down, we know that there is no what. No what that will save us. No what that will rescue us. No what that will make us right. No what that will fix us. There's not a sermon. There's not a verse. Of scripture. There's not a clever saying or any of our friends' bad advice 
that is going to lead us out of why do I do what I do? His question was who will? What a wretched man I am, he says. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who? Who? I had somebody come up to me after service this morning and say, I want to be a resident of Whoville. I said, you know what? I almost went there, but I thought, I'm going to lose everybody to Horton. Here's a who, and we're never going to get it back. But then he finishes verse 25 out with these words, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He asked the question, who? Who's going to? The answer, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The huge word there is through. The answer is a person. The answer is the redeeming Savior, not in what we do. Paul is going to walk us through how the do connects to the through. Through Christ, the doing can get lined up. The doing can be overcome. The doing can be headed in the right direction, but not because we are somewhat, but because of Christ living in us. Paul, like us, is obviously tried over and over to fix whatever it is he struggled with. He's tried to overcome it on his own, and it has never worked. By the way, it will never work on our own. He says the answer is a person, through, not to do more. More discipline is not going to solve our problem. And yet, if you think about it, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So it's not that self-control is not an amazingly great thing. It's just that we can't self-control ourselves out of our problem. Because if we could self-control ourselves out of our problem, don't you think God would have said, well, that's a great system, my son doesn't have to die. I mean, God could have sent us a DVD and said, here, watch this, do this, and it's all going to work. But what we needed was someone to come down, to live and to understand the struggle, to overcome the struggle because we couldn't do it. And we needed a who, not a what. And we keep giving each other what's, trying to fix each other. We're stuck on the what's. Matter of fact, that's what we judge is people's what. When people do things wrong, we, we judge and condemn their what. There are no what's that are going to fix us, and we keep finding ourselves with the wrong, with the wrong place. So Paul is going to walk us through how the do connects to the through. Because he's tried it, because he's failed, he gets to the point where he realizes that the answer is not a what, it's a who. And so just, and here, here's the bottom line. I'm going to give you the bottom line just in case, because remember we said we're just going to take one bite at a time. We're just going to take one bite at a time over the next several weeks. Just as the single unrighteous act of one man guaranteed that we were born a slave to sin, just as the single unrighteous act of one man, Adam, guaranteed that we were all going to be born a slave to sin. What Adam did, we did. And somebody's going to say, well, that's not fair. I wasn't there. I didn't get to choose. No, but, you know, it can be unfair all you want, but it's true. It's just the reality that we live in. We find ourselves in. Just as Adam couldn't save himself, only God could. We can't save ourselves, only God can. But we have been born into this idea of Adam that says we're broken. Sin is in our line and sin is going to come. And so the single unrighteous act of one man guaranteed 
that we would all be a slave to sin. But the single righteous act of one man frees us from the power of sin. The single righteous act of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, overcoming the grave, guarantees that we are freed from the power of sin. And that's kind of where really, not kind of, that's where we're going to talk about today, the implications of that. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Romans 6, and that's where we're going to launch into today. Take another bite of this big question, knowing our why. Romans 6, 2 and 3 says this, We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We are those who have died to sin. Now, he's writing to believers. He's writing to people that have accepted Christ. He's writing to those who have been taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. And he's writing to them saying, why are our lives ending up with the good I want to do, I'm not doing, but the evil I don't want to do? Why do I keep doing that? Now, I think we have an answer to his question because I think most of us would look at Paul and go, oh, um, how can we live in it any longer? Well, I can tell you how we live in it any longer. I do it every day. I wake up and I launch right into sin. I mean, I've been living in sin for a long time. I mean, I'm good at it. I'm like a professional. I mean, I know how to sin. And I think that's what every person thinks in their mind and kind of launches into every day. Now, Paul isn't asking that. He is saying, why, why do we keep finding ourselves, particularly being we have been freed from sin? Why would we live like that? And many every day find themselves in the same place they've been before. And then at night they were taught, if they've been in any church, they were taught before you go to bed. Now you pray and you ask God to forgive you. And he pulls out his magic eraser and he erases everything you did that day. And then the next day you find yourself in sin again. And you lay your head down at night and you go, oh God, what a wretched man I am. God, would you please pull out your magic eraser and do that magic that you do that I can't see but I need you to do. And we have this because that's a religious system. That's the what. We've been taught, hey, you do all this, but then at night, God, and so we just, and it's like a hamster wheel. We just keep finding ourselves in the same place, the same place, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm horrible. Why I can't get this right. I can't do this right. And the religious systems only lead to failure. Can we just say that? I don't think y'all are bought into that. So we in our minds... We see God with this big eraser wiping the slate clean only for us to fill it up again the next day. So here's the question. Here's our question. Why do we keep doing the same things? Even a bigger question. Why are we surrendered to a master, sin, line of Adam, who is no longer our master? Why are we giving such power to something we've been freed from? Now, Paul is going to ask a question in the last part of this text that is kind of an aha moment for me. Maybe it'll be an aha moment for you. Look at what he says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then those four words. Or don't you know? Or don't you know? Oh, you, you don't know? You don't know the truth that, that could set you free from all this? You don't? Or don't you know? Or don't you know? 
that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Don't, don't you know? And we would all go, oh, I don't know. I keep finding myself in the same place. I don't, I don't know. Is there some secret that I'm missing? Is there some truth I haven't grasped? Is there something going on that's bigger than all this that I need to take hold of? And so Paul uses an image that they were very familiar with. Now, baptism comes from the word mikvah, which means living water. But there was also a sense in which baptism means to place something into something. So baptism is, in, in the context of the mikvah, means to immerse. But baptism in other definitions means to place something into. We were born into the line of Adam. But when we give our life to Christ, we're placed into Christ. So there's kind of this dual imagery going on with baptism and he's saying, listen, don't you know that when you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death? In other words, the death that Jesus died was applied to you. When we were in Adam, what was true of Adam was true of us, that we're bound by sin, separated from God, lost under the power of sin, born condemned because we were born under Adam. And once again, it's not fair, but it's just true. Now, in the same way, what was true of Christ, because we're in Christ, is true of us. He died, and by being in Christ, we died, and the benefits and all the truths of his death are true of us. Now, that doesn't register well with us, and we kind of fight against that. Notice what he says in 6.4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too, what? May live a new Life. New life. New life. Not mostly dead, as in the Princess Bride. A new life. New life. Buried with him. We we died. We we joined in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus when we and we got taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. I don't know that we grasp how huge this is because all that is true of Christ's death and resurrection is true of us as well now. And here's the truth of it, is that all the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection are applied to us because we are in Him. All the truths, all the truths, all the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection are applied to us because we are in now, if you have been around church, you've at least believed half of that or some of that because you know that when you were placed in Christ, somebody's going to shout, hey, you're going to go to heaven when you die. You're going to go to heaven when you die. And, and yes, that's part of it. But that's not the truth that we need to grasp. We, that, that's fair. It isn't just something we inherit when we die. All the truth, all the benefits, all the blessings are applied to us now, today. Everything true of Christ's death and resurrection is true of us right now because we are in Christ. If it, the only benefit of coming to Christ is, is that when we die, we're going to go to heaven, what about how we're going to live today and keep our sanity? This is why Paul is so struggling so much because he keeps finding himself doing what he doesn't want to do, which, by the way, leads to misery. It leads to anxiety. It leads to depression. It leads to all this mess. Think about the implications if we 
could accept and live in the power that God gives us when we come into Christ, that we have power to live today, that we have dominion over, that we can move in different ways, we can live differently. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified, for we know, now this goes back to the don't you know, don't you know that when you came to Christ at your old self, that old man was, was crucified, that old woman was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be what? Done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Think about the truth that our old self was crucified. The part of us that has been under bondage of sin is no longer no longer under the power or authority of the sinful nature. And at that, we, we start going, ah, but, but you, you don't know me. You don't know what, how, what I do every day. You don't know. I probably do. Because we, we don't know that God, when we were placed in Christ, He crucified the sinful nature. He, you're like, okay, does that mean that I'm not, I'm not going to struggle? No, you're going to struggle. You know why you're going to struggle? Because sin doesn't go, oh, they accepted Christ. Let's just back away. Let's just leave them alone and not tempt them anymore. It's not the way it works. But we now have the power. Because our old man was crucified, we don't have to keep saying yes to the things that we don't want to do. We'll talk about that in a minute. Our old self was crucified. We should no longer live as slaves to sin. No longer say yes to the temptation because we aren't slaves anymore. We have the power because we now have new life. Notice what he says in 6 verse 7. Because anyone, because anyone who has died has been what? Set free from sin. Now, th this, this caused a little bit of confusion. I'm going to see if I can do a little better job maybe explaining this. Can you tempt a corpse? Can you tempt a dead body? No, you can't tempt a dead body. So when we die, when we die to ourselves, sin doesn't have mastery over us unless we give it mastery. And it's not that the temptation is not going to come. It's that we don't have to despair and go, oh, well, I might as well give in because that's what I'm going to end up doing anyway. We don't have to live that life because what? We have the power of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have freedom. He has cut the change from us. Some of us are more comfortable wearing chains. Y'all read the news, you know, the Duke boys, the, the, the old General Lee card, you know, John Duke, John Schneider. He just got released from prison. You know what he asked? He asked if they put him back in jail. He went to a judge and said, I want you to put me back. He, he said, I can't live on the outside. Same thing of Shawshank Redemption. Some people only know how to live within the walls of a prison. They think that that's the key to them not messing up. The key to not messing up isn't a what. It's a who. The key to us overcoming the, the power of sin in our life isn't a system or what we learn or what we know or what we can do. It's a who. It's Jesus Christ. Once we die, we don't have to give in to the temptation to eat too much or to look too long or whatever. We've been freed from the power of sin. In Christ, everything is applied to us. All the benefits, all the power, everything that was in Christ is 
is given to those who are in Christ. Chapter 6, verse 10 says this, The death he died, he died to sin once, you see those two little words? For all. For all time, for all people. He died for us. We, we couldn't do it. There was no what that would lead us away from sin, but there was a who. Bless you. In Christ, everything's applied. The life he lived, he lived to God. Adam, first man, sinned, walked away. Consequences were applied. Death comes, power over us. We, we became the, the slave to sin. Christ comes, Christ lives, Christ dies, Christ overcomes. Faith in Christ leads that what was true of me is no longer true of me. What is true of Christ is now true of me. I'm a new person. I have a new identity. And if I'm accustomed, though, to living a certain way, it's hard to break out of that old habit because we've trained our minds that we're going to end up failing, so we might as well just choose failure. It's the reason he offers us new life, new way of thinking, new way of doing, new way of living, new way, not based on what, but based on who. Sin no longer controls us. Sin is no longer our master. We don't have to say yes to the sin. Now notice these last two verses we'll look at this morning. Remember, take a little bites. 611. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the what? The law. You're under the who? Grace. And we can keep living under the what? And we're going to keep finding ourselves failing and frustrated and asking that same question, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Or we can recognize that we're under the who? The grace of God. And it will set us free. It will literally change everything about the way we live. You see, the truth of it is, is that sin is no longer my master if I'm in Christ. Jesus allowed himself to die, and then he came back to life. He overcame the power of sin, and so he says that when we come into Christ, we are dead to sin, but we're alive in Christ. And yet we keep giving in and going back to old way of living. Old way of living. Now, this isn't a perfect example, but I think that this maybe hopefully will, will help a little bit. I think the, the best picture that I can think of of how to characterize this is international adoption. International adoption, okay? You got a, kids maybe living in an orphanage. They, they have nothing. They have no one. And they, they have no ability to take care of themselves. They have no financial wherewithal. They have nothing. They've been abandoned. They have been left by the side of the road. And so somebody comes in and they adopt that child. They go and they pay an immense amount of money. They travel. They do and because they, they want that child to know that not only are they loved, but there's a home for them, that they're welcome, that they're going to be cared for, that they're going to be fed, that they, they'll have an inheritance, that there's all these hopes and dreams. There's all these truths about this child. And so they go through this lengthy process, and they do all this stuff, and then finally, whatever government is control of that orphanage, they, they sign papers, and then they, they 
get papers signed from judges and attorneys and people from this country or some other country, and they, they sign over the rights, the authority, the control of that child to that adopting family. And they bring that child in, and they, they show them the pantry, and they show them all the food. You'll never be hungry again. And they learn that there are people that are going to take care of them and, and that when they're fearful and, and afraid at night, they're going to hold them and they're going to, and all, all these benefits, all these blessings come. Now let's say maybe six months, a year later that that, that country says, you know what, we don't, we don't want that family to have this child. They, we're going to go get that child. And, and they come over to this country and they knock on that family's door and say, we, we want the child back. Now that adoptive family is going to say, you know what, you have no say in this because the powers and the authorities with the stroke of a pen change the, the ownership, change the master of that child. You, you no longer have a say in this matter. What's done is done. And they are banking on the reality of the transaction. And that's the way it is with us. When we give ourselves to Christ, there... There's a legal part that happens to that, yes. And, and, and we, are, we are taken out of the line of Adam and we are placed in the line of Christ. And all the benefits, all the blessings, all, all the inheritance is ours. And it can't be taken away. It can't be taken away. And many of us live with this thought that if I blow it, God's going to give up. God's going to give me back. God's going to kick me out of the family. Because what he did, he did once for all. For all people, for all time. And if we could settle in with that truth, it would definitely change the way we look at life. We wouldn't keep asking, why do I keep doing this? We would say, why haven't I been living this way the whole time? But once again, there are people that are more comfortable with change on because we've grown accustomed to living that way of life. And as chaotic and as painful as that is, we've become accustomed to it. We've, we've trained ourselves that that's all we're ever going to be. That's a lie. What he did, he did for all, for all time. He set us free. Free. Now, whether we know it or not, or whether we knew it or not, whether we understand it or not, when we were placed in Christ, sin lost its authority over us. We may only know that, that broken life, but the reality is, is that we have authority to declare sin is no longer our master. Did, did you hear that? For sin, verse 14, shall no longer be your master. For sin shall no longer be your master. Master, dead to sin, alive to Christ. When we take hold of this, it will change everything about the way we think. And once again, we're just putting this together one bite at a time. Last week we talked about being in the line of Adam, being placed in the line of Christ. We're starting to try to take hold of, because we are in Christ, what's true of our old life is no longer true of us that we have a new identity because what's true of Christ, because we are in Christ now, is true of us. 
that he was God's beloved, that he was God's son, that he died for us and we were included in that death so that we could live. We are not the person that we used to be. If you're in Christ, you are not the person that you used to be. You need to let that truth settle in on you. So there's no reason to live like we still are. We are no longer the person that we used to be, so there is no reason to keep living like we still are. You are not the person that you used to be if you're in Christ. So why live like you still are? I'll tell you why we do this. It's because we're more comfortable with the what. What can I do? What, what, what? And the what always leads us to failure. Paul's trying to get them to the who. Who's going to rescue you? It won't be you. It won't be what you do. Because the doing has to connect to the through. And when we get that we have been saved through Christ, it will change everything. So little bites each week. Let me go ahead and invite the band to come back up. We're going to take communion. This is uh, this is kind of what I want to leave you with. When we go to communion, yes, they're symbols. They're symbols. It's like the wedding ring. The wedding ring is like baptism. It it's not the marriage. It's the reminder and the, and the declaration to the world that we are married. Baptism isn't. Baptism is the symbol that speaks to the world and says there's been a relationship. We've, we've moved from the line of Adam to the line of Christ. And yet we forget that. And we forget that we have power and authority. We have all that we need, 2 Peter 1.3, for life and godliness. We have all we need. He's given it to us. It's a gift. And yet we live like we don't have anything. We live like we didn't know. But now that we do know, and the more that we know about what we've been given that we haven't taken possession of, it'll change the way we see. It'll change the way we look at life. It'll change the way we see ourselves. Because we need a rethinking of ourselves. Because some of us have despaired that we're only going to be a screw-up and a mess-up our whole life. Well, that was when we were in Adam. But now that we've been placed in Christ, everything true of Christ so let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion, then we're going to jump back into some worship. And if you would like to be prayed over, the prayer ministry will be there. And it may be that you have lived under that religious system to the point that you have despaired that you're never going to change. Maybe what you needed to do today is a healthy dose of truth, that God will never give up on you, and that what God has declared is true, whether you understood it or not, is still true, that you are his blood that you are redeemed, and that you have the power to not let sin be your master. Maybe maybe that's what we need to say today. Maybe we just need to start speaking it out loud. Sin is not my master. Sin is not my master. Christ is my master. Lord, <clears throat> may we put our hope in the who and not the what. 
Lord, we have reduced your sacrifice in all that you have given to us to trying to earn what's already been given. And it has wrecked us. It has left us without hope. It has left us without an ability to move forward. All the while, it's been a lie and a delusion from the enemy. Because the truth is, is that our hope is in who? Our hope is in the one who came, who lived, who died, who was crucified, who rose again, and gave us every promise, every truth, every benefit, because we have placed ourselves by our faith, by our just our confession that you are our Lord. And sin no longer is our master. And so, Lord, as we take communion, as we worship today, will you draw us deeper into you? God, will you speak truth to us? Will you draw us out of this, I didn't know, to we do know? And now more and more possibilities of how we're going to live differently are now right at our disposal. So, Lord, would you speak your truth to us? Lord, as we honor you and worship you. In the name of Jesus. Let's take communion.